Perfect timing. Hello and good evening. Brother John, happy birthday. Uh, you said that some of the teens, uh, they actually drew some of your faces on those things? That's great. That's awesome. And uh, over in Germany, we had a, a teen get-together, and one of the things were to make items out of Plato. Plato to see if you can, and whoever made the best one got points, and they won some T-shirt or something like that, or a hoodie. That's what it was, a hoodie. And uh, so one of the things they had to make with their Plato was the pastor. And there were some crazy abominations, and uh, I'm not sure who won, but I try to strike it from my memory. But you, you made me think of that when, uh, when you said that. So Mark chapter 8, please. Mark chapter 8. Uh, a little bit about Germany before we get into the, uh, too much into the, the sermon tonight. So we've been there for a while. Uh, I mean, y'all, y'all remember way back 2014, 2015, ordained here, uh, sent over in 2016. And I appreciate your support and your prayers all this entire time. And it's good to see as... Um, uh, as Brother Callahan mentioned in his prayer, that God's using Gateway Baptist Church. He's always been doing that, but it seems like this lately he's just poised y'all just to go even further and further and further. And it's exciting to see that. It's exciting to be a part of that. And it is good to be here tonight. Uh, but over in Germany, uh, we, uh, I'm the pastor of Hohenfels Baptist Church. Uh, I've been the pastor there since early 2018. And uh, we've seen some, some interesting things there. We've, we've, we've pastored and, and went through COVID and all the restrictions you can imagine. And then times it by 10. That's the kind of restrictions we had there in Germany. And, uh, but we just released um, a couple months ago. They went and just took everything away. And it is like freedom. I mean, just standing up in the pews to sing, something as simple as that, caused like almost a mini revival in our church. It was just amazing. The music was great. Um, so it's, uh, it's exciting to be that. Now I'm hoping we can just stay that way and, and not bring any of that stuff back because uh, it's exciting to actually sit next to somebody in church and not have to be a meter and a half apart. Um, so it's, uh, it's good to be there. Um, we've also, I think I mentioned last time I was here, we started a Regensburg ministry and uh, we're getting about 10 to 15 folks there going, uh, that, that attending that. It's about 40 minutes. We're uh, Hohenfels Baptist Church is like 10 minutes outside the military installation, and uh, there is uh, a major city near us called Regensburg. It's about the size of Clarksville. Uh, it's a very Roman city, leftover Roman medieval. Um, some of you may have even been there, and uh, it's, a, it's a very exciting place. So back in October, we started a ministry in one of the buildings down there, and uh, just just out of our church, right there, just the same old singing the hymns, same preaching, same gospel. And uh, we're about 10 to 15 folks on a regular basis. And two weeks before I came on this trip to, to, to be at my daughter's wedding, um, we had a lady um, come from Singapore. And uh, so we're excited. When, when he, when, anytime we get visitors, she's a student there in Regensburg. Regensburg is also a, a college city. Um, uh, so she visited. And then the next Sunday, she came back, and that's always exciting, and she brought a friend. So, that's, uh, so she's from Singapore, her friend's from Ghana, uh, other people in that, uh, in that community there, in that little ministry we have there um, from, let's see here, Malaysia, India, Germany, and of course America, and then back in the, uh, the, the main campus, if you will, back in Hohenfels, um, it's probably 50 to 60% military there, so we have that big turnover every two to three years. I know you're, you're used to that. Oh, well, 
you never get used to it. Uh, it hurts as they, as they leave, and uh, so he always asked that the Lord would let them stay just a little bit longer. Um, but it's um, we just lost our, our our song leader a couple about a year ago, and uh, we've had a man step up and he's doing the best he can and praise praise God and it's it's somebody better than me because I need a bucket and then maybe, um, uh, so but uh, it, it's good to have that and then about the other 40 45 percent are are about 15 different cultures in one church. I'm not talking about like um, people who lived in Germany for many years and they have a, a heritage in a certain country. I'm talking they came from that country, they attend our church, um, Malaysia, again, uh, India, Romania, Poland, Ukraine, Russia, I mean, on and on and on. Uh, it is a very unique ministry. And uh, I was asked uh, by another church in the area, uh, how, do you, how do you pastor so many different cultures? You just keep preaching the same thing. You know, you see some of those classes that say, how do you lead a Mormon to the Lord? How do you lead an atheist to the Lord? It's all the same way. You just preach the gospel, and it's all the same way. Um, but um, we have uh, some Ukrainians in our home as, we've, as, as we're here right now, right before we left. And I'll, just, I'll tell you a quick story, and then we'll get in, uh, into the sermon here tonight. But let's see. So we've been planning for this wedding not very long, really about two months or so. Um, uh, but we're here, and all of this kind of a, it's kind of a whirlwind. Uh, but right before we left, um, we had a, a Ukrainian family come through. They stayed with us for a couple of days, and then they went to France. And uh, their situation is it's a mother, a daughter, and, uh, and their son, the daughter's son. And the middle, the, the daughter in the middle, she's about my age. She speaks, she's the only one that speaks English. And uh, so they stay with us uh, one or two nights, I think, and then they move to France. They've never been to France. They don't know who they're meeting in France, but they're going there trusting the Lord. They're Christians, and they're moving there, and they never know when they're going to see their husband again and their father. Uh, that's still the situation right now. But since they've been in France, many other Ukrainians came to that area, and they have a little Ukrainian community, if you will, on the French-German border. Um, but then right before we left, we have a, a lady in our church that's kind of on and off been looking for a dog to add to their house. And uh, speaking of which, we've kind of replaced our children with dogs, so they left, and we're empty nesters, so we bought puppies, or we got some puppies, and they're a little easier. They're cheaper, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, anyway, so this uh, this lady, she wanted to uh, get a dog, and she found a dog on, online or something, and the dog happened to be in Poland, and uh, at, at one of these large... Um, uh, places where Ukrainians are coming, a refugee camp, if you will, and they wanted to give their dog away because they really didn't know what their future was, much less the dog's future. And uh, they gave their dog away to a church member. That church member drove to Poland six, seven hours away to pick up that dog. Uh, they were Christians, and uh, they kind of came back with them, and they needed a place to stay to start their new life in Germany. Um, and what were, I mean, God's already in that in itself, but at our where we live at, we have a house, and our mission apartment is kind of like uh, right next to it. Like they used to call them mother-in-law apartments, but we kind of don't use that anymore um, for good reason. Um, but uh, So they're staying in that apartment, and on this trip, we had a church uh, family in our church that uh, she plays the piano. She is from Ukraine, born and raised in Ukraine, and she is our piano player. And she's married to a guy that's from Germany and Sri Lanka. So he's half Sri Lankan, half Germany, or half German. And they're married, and uh, they, they serve there in the church. And they volunteered to house sit for us while we were gone. And why I say the Lord's in it is because she's Ukrainian and speaks Ukrainian, and that family that's in the church, or in the, in the mission department, they speak, none of them except the wife, uh, she speaks a little bit of English. And I can honestly say that she speaks less English than I speak German. And that's not a whole lot. Um, so the Lord's uh, the Lord put all that together, and uh, I think I speak good German. But and then I speak to my wife, and look, she's shaking her head no right now. 
<laughs> no right now. So anyway, it is good to be here at Gateway Baptist Church. Uh, uh, I've been in and out more than usual lately. I feel like y'all probably asking, does he ever, is he ever on the mission field, you know? Um, but uh, I am, and uh, it'll be quite a long time before you see me again. But uh, take your Bibles, if you will, and go to Mark chapter 8. Uh, this is one of those uh, sermons that uh, I've preached, I think, once or twice before. It's, it's, a, it's a sermon that speaks to my heart, and I think, Brother John, in your revival, or in your prayer, you mentioned revival. We are always looking for revival, and this, this sermon is not necessarily about revival, but I think it's the core of revival. It deals with our hearts. Uh, but look with me very, very quickly there, Mark chapter 8, verse number 27. Mark chapter 8. Verse number 27, the Bible says, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say, Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, and verse 29, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be not rejected, or, and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and, and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Verse 32, and he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter and saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, also he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? And lose his own soul. And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his fathers with his holy angels. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name where we can lift you up where we could worship you in spirit and in truth and sermon and in song. Lord, help us to see you to, to this evening, Lord. Lord, help us to, to know that we are with you and that when we leave here, we are a little bit different. We know that we have been with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you bless us with your presence, your spirit. Lord, all that you are, Lord, we we'd strive or we, we want very much for you to be upon, among us. Lord, I need you, Lord. Uh, you know uh, my frailties, Lord. You know that I need you every step, every moment, every word that comes out of my mouth. Lord, I need you to guide these. And Lord, and I thank you for all that you do. And we thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, this message records the well-known and great confession of Peter. Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. Matthew re records it. He adds, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Christ 
uh, in the Greek is Christos. It's linked to the word Messiah in the Old Testament as the one who would ultimately deliver Israel from, from Rome or whoever that would, uh, that would be at any time, but at this time be Rome. And this is what the apostles believed. This is what the Jews believed. This is what Peter believed. He would be, Jesus would be the one, the Messiah would be the one that, deliver, that would deliver Rome. But as verse 31 tells us, in this chapter, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of God must come and deliver Rome? No. Must suffer many things, be rejected of elders, be rejected of the chief priests and scribes, be killed. That's what the Messiah would come to do. And as we follow the text here, uh, it seems that Peter kind of... I kind of look at this, you know, as they're kind of walking along, and uh, Jesus is walking along with the apostles, and Jesus says these things, and Peter kind of steps in front of Jesus and kind of stops him, and maybe pulls him off to the side, maybe, maybe semi-privately, and he begins to rebuke his master. Jesus, however, doesn't respond privately, does he? He responds publicly, which there's probably a lesson just in that. Look at verse 33. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, on his disciples, plural, he rebuked Peter, saying, get thee behind me. Get thee behind me. So he rebuked him uh, publicly. So Peter probably, I would, I would assume, probably didn't grasp the seriousness of his statement. That, you know, be it far from my Lord to do this. He probably didn't recognize what he was saying at the moment. Maybe he did. Um, maybe he didn't realize how contrary his words were to God's will for the Son of God to be crucified. But Jesus begins to make something very clear, not just to Peter, but to all the apostles and to us this evening. He begins to talk about, I believe he begins to talk about what it means to truly be one of his disciples, to follow Jesus Christ. You know, over in Germany, I think after all this COVID, it kind of purified. I think maybe many churches have gone through that. Those who were serious made it through those restrictions, if you will, and still made it a point to worship God. They still made it a point to gather and whatever. Well, I'm not saying break laws or anything like that, but I'm, they're the ones that just made it a commitment to truly follow Jesus Christ. I think it's just mind-boggling. And one, one day it just hit me, you know, to be a follower of Christ, i got to actually follow Christ. Follow Christ. And as we look at this text here, I don't think we can be too hard on Peter. Yes, he was out of line for rebuking his master. Yes, what he wanted was outside the will of God. But in this, I'd like to say he is often my spiritual spitting image, wanting the things that are outside of the will of God. You see, Mark's first recorded words of Jesus, there in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he said, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe the gospel. And think about this in, your, in Peter's Jewish mind. This mention of a kingdom would have sparked an excitement in his mind. An ex- excitement for that deliverance from Rome. They all believed and knew that God would eventually div- deliver Israel. It was promised. And Peter wanted Israel to be delivered. I think he even believed that Jesus would be that deliverer. But he wanted a kingdom without the cross. And this is not possible. It was not possible for Jesus no more than it was possible for Peter. You know, if there was no cross, there would be no crown. And the same is true of discipleship. And that's what we're going to talk about this evening. True discipleship, true followers of Jesus Christ. I'd like to share with you a few few truths 
that I think the Bible teaches here about discipleship. Now, I don't know how you live. I live in Germany. I have no idea where you're going to go tonight. Well, some of you. Um, so, for the most part, I don't know what you watch on television and all those things. And that's not any of my business. So, this, this passage is what God laid on my heart, and, but he knows. He knows how we are in these things and what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think he gives us an outline here of what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, a life-changing disciple, nation-changing, community-changing, revival-causing, if I can put it that way, discipleship. Again, this is one of those sermons that I think hits close to home. And while God has enabled me to preach this with conviction, it is one that hits close to my heart as well. This passage of scripture, every time I read it, challenges me. Not necessarily to, to live more or live better for the Lord, all those, those things are in there, but at the top of that, it challenges me to take a hard look at my discipleship, a hard look at my life in Christ. Where are my priorities? It challenges me to bring my discipleship into the light. You see, in this passage... Let's jump down to verse 34 again. He says, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Twelve words. Collectively has about 15 syllables. Three commands. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, and if you're anything like me, if we take them to heart, they shake us to our very core. Three simple commands, all in one verse. I believe if they are followed, they would radically change our lives. And I think they would turn any community upside down. Hohenfels, Regensburg, Clarksville, it doesn't matter. True discipleship. Notice again the words of Christ. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever will come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I want to take the time and talk about what it means to come after me. Jesus' words, come after me. I mentioned already in verse 15 of chapter 1 of Mark, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. But immediately after saying that, Jesus says, come ye after me. He says, yes, the kingdom of God is at hand, but come ye after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And back in our text here in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, we read that coming after Christ, look at that again, whosoever will come after me, what's he going to do? He's going to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So let's look at these things. Number one, deny self. What does it mean to deny self? Notice the next whosoever in verse 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, and the gospels, the same shall save it. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. In other words, whosoever puts himself or anything else before Christ will eventually lose what he holds near and dear to his heart. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And I realize that this is as radical here as it is in Germany. It's a radical thought to be all in, as you say, for Christ, to be completely all in for Jesus Christ. It's radical, but it's discipleship. It's far removed from our way of thinking today. But this is indeed the first step in discipleship. 
It's the first step in discipleship. The word denying is defined as to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself, to lose sight of one's interest, to deny self. Matthew elaborates a little bit on the Lord on the, on, the, on Jesus's words in Matthew chapter ten. I'll read them to you. He says, "He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it." And Luke's words are even more harsh. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and cometh after me cannot be my disciple. These are bold words. These are not words that we go and think about every day as we try to serve the Lord. At least I do not. These are bold words. These are what I like to call Christian mountaintops of commitment. And for the record, I want to point out that Luke's rendering of our Savior's words are what is called hyperbole. It's the contrast uh, that, that Jesus is pointing out. The difference in our love for Christ compared to our love for self is overstated for an emphasis. We are not to hate our families, our friends, or even our own life, but there should be a world of difference in what we do for Christ compared to what we do for others. A world of difference in our commitment to Christ and to self. Look again at Mark, rather, chapter 8, verse 32. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Peter is rebuking Christ, the opposite of denial, if you will. On the cover, on the, on the outside, if you were looking at Peter, it may appear that his concern was for the welfare of his master. But we know that's not the case. Because at the core, it's a fleshly desire rooted in self. It's almost like he said, not my master. My master's not going to the cross. Far be it from my Lord. It's not my desire that Jesus will, be, will suffer and reject it. But what was the Lord's response? You savor not the things that be of God but the things that be of men. Jesus straight, straightforwardly tells them, you desire the things of men, but if you want to follow me, you must desire the things of God. You must deny self. You must deny the things of men. You must deny self and self-interest. You know, that word savorist, we don't really use that a whole lot. Maybe we should. Um, it, it's a unique word. Peter savored the things of men, not of God. But put another way, Peter minded the things that be of men and not of God. In fact, that word used for savorist here means to be minded or to be of the same mind. You see, Peter had the mind of a man and not the mind of God. And our response, and maybe your response, you're thinking right now, well, of course he had the mind of a man. He is, in fact, a man. But that's the point. To be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, that old man must go away. He must be dead. We must be dead to self. What we savor must be denied. Our mind must be denied. We must deny self. We must deny the mind of man and replace it with the mind of Christ, which should automatically lead you to Philippians chapter 2, because the word here used for savorist is the same word used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, where it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to supplant the mind of man with the mind of Christ. That is what it means to deny self. 
If we were to read through Philippians chapter 2, we would see that Jesus very clearly lived the, the perfect example of denying self. He emptied himself of any human desire and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Which really leads us to the next stage here in discipleship in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Notice again our Savior's words there. Whosoever will come after me, let him, one, deny himself, and then number two, take up his cross. Take up his cross. Now this obviously goes a little further than just denying self in our application. This is the crucifixion of self. Now to be clear... I know uh, we live in a world where suicide is through the roof, uh, even in the military. But this verse is clearly not about suicide. That would be a gross misrepresentation. And I realize that the trauma and stress that often accompanies suicide is real and powerful, and I'm I'm not trying to deny that, but at the end, suicide is self-serving. This is about the old man. This is about killing the old man. Jesus is saying that a true disciple of Christ must take up his cross and follow Jesus Christ. We're going to speak more about following Christ in a moment, but look in the grand picture of where Jesus was in this moment. When he's coming to earth, he was born to die. He was born to go to the cross. He was already carrying his cross, if you will. He was going to the garden. He was going to Calvary. He was going to be crucified. Verse 31 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed. That was his purpose. The Son of Man must be crucified. Now, praise God, Jesus did this for us. Jesus paid it all, as the song says. Praise God, and he loves us. We could never do, or maybe a different way to put that, it would take us an eternity to pay for our sins in hell. God paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Carrying one's cross here today, therefore, means that we are to be ready to suffer, ready to be rejected, ready to be even killed. But taken a little bit further to the spiritual level, the calling to carry our cross is the high calling to be crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. In fact, by faith, this is even part of our salvation. We have all Turned from self to the Savior, if you know the Lord. Romans 6, verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Paul even goes a little further in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, by writing that they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with with the affections and lust. And then back in 35, Jesus says, Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, and the gospels the same shall save it. I'm afraid that many of us and the best of us from time to time have lost our way when it comes to carrying our cross. But this is exactly what is needed today. I've often heard preachers say, and it's a true statement, the world don't need more of me. They need less of me and more of Jesus Christ. We need to crucify and deny ourselves so that Christ can be magnified. We need Christians today who carry their crosses. You and I are called to bring our bodies into subjection to the Spirit and carry that old man to carry our desires, even the core of who we are, to our own Calvary, if you will. Listen, Peter desired the opposite of what God desired. With good intentions, probably. 
He desired the opposite of what God desired. Now, we know that Peter eventually got it right. He received the Holy Spirit when, when the Lord blew on them. We, we know this story. He eventually got it right where he, dis, where he chose to surrender himself to the Lord. He crucified those desires, and he did, in fact, carry his cross. And In fact, history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down, but I don't think it mattered to him any, anymore at that point because Peter had long ago crucified the flesh and all that he was for Christ. So being crucified upside down was nothing. Yes, pain, I, I, got all, I get all that, but he was already surrendered. We need to surrender. This is a must for us to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. I think we can, I, I can desire all I want. I can even fill all, my li- all of my life with all of the earthly desires I can get my hands on. I can even gain the whole world. But what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And before we move on to our final point this evening, I want to ask you, have you been to Calvary? I know this is a Sunday evening, but have you been to Calvary? Have you repented of yourself and sin and turned to Jesus Christ alone for salvation? You know, when we get, when it's all said and done, either we pay for our sins or he pays for our sins. It's really that simple. You don't want to pay for your sins. You can't. I mean, I like thinking of it as what would kill us. It put on Christ, and as a human, he died, but he broke the shackles of death so that we can be free. Bars and, and handcuffs, if you will, that would hold us for eternity, put on the Lord, and he just broke them through so that we could have that. Have you been to your cafe? Have you realized that all the things in this world are temporary? All of it, are, all of it is temporary. And if you live for the temporary, you're living your best life now. This is the closest you will ever get to heaven. And that is sad. Just turn on the news and you'll see how sad it is. But all of that can change in a moment through faith. Even right now, they should have advertisements outside all the churches in the world. Salvation, no works required. Just reception. Receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace through faith are you saved. Probably one of my favorite passages is Romans 10, 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I love that passage. You do this, this happens. Simple. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's no gimmicks. There's no works. It's simple. Salvation through Jesus Christ. Have you been to Calvary? Are you carrying your cross, Christian? Is the old man really where he's supposed to be, dead? Have you crucified the flesh with the affections and lust? Jesus said that whosoever will come after me, let him take up his cross. Following Christ requires us to take up our cross. Again, taking up our cross is necessary for true discipleship. But it is contrary to human nature. Nobody lives for God on accident. We don't wake up one morning, whoops, I had a good day in the Lord. It don't happen that way. It takes effort. We don't live for the Lord by accident. It's contrary to human nature to take up our cross. It's contrary to deny self. Like Abraham heading to Mount Moriah with his child, with Isaac, and our Lord even marching to the cross. These are not actions of the human will, but of the divine a surrendered human will, empowered by a divine will. 
They reflect a complete surrender of man and the crucifixion of man, the crucifixion of self. And understood this way, the entire life of our Savior was truly a crucified life. He never yielded to the flesh. He crucified the man from day one. He lived a crucified life. That's our calling. Every single Christian to live a crucified life. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 4, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. True discipleship, true authentic discipleship requires the denial of self and the death of self. And then, and only then, can we enter into this next phase of following Christ. Notice again our Savior's words recorded in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Following Christ. Now we can go on and on down these steps and what it means to follow Jesus Christ, but here in the passage, that's the last one. Follow Jesus Christ. But before we progress in this sermon, I want to highlight the progression in discipleship. Kind of bring it all together here. Like Peter... When we begin our discipleship, we begin fully entrenched in our own desires. I mean, God commended his love to us, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So the, the initiative was all God's. We responded. And even after that response, we have to put forth some effort. We have to surrender those desires. So like Peter, we begin fully entrenched in our desires, wanting what we want instead of what God wants. Because all of us, from time to time, even as believers filled with the Spirit of God, albeit quenched, are just like Peter. We savor not the things of God. Maybe I'm the only one. I doubt it. As to be expected, though, the Word of God, along with the Spirit of God, go right to the heart of the problem. And that's me. I'm I'm always the heart of the problem. My wife would readily agree. (laughs) But I believe our Lord's uh, phrase here, his statement, get thee behind me. While identical to what he said to Satan, if you remember, in the wilderness, is connected to the Lord's following statement of whosoever will come after me. In other words, the phrase behind me, get this now, the phrase behind me in verse 33 is the same words in the Greek, the same two words in the Greek for after me. It's just how you put it in context. So Peter, whose name means rock, He became a stumbling stone in the way of God. And Jesus' words, um, get thee behind me, are similar to saying, Peter, get out of my way. You're You're not supposed to be in front of me. You're not supposed to try to make me stumble. You're opposing the will of God. Get out of the way. Just like he said to Satan, get out of my way. Or to Satan, I guess he could say, I'm coming through either way. But get out of my way. Get thee behind me. But unlike his conversation with the devil in the wilderness, Jesus goes further with Peter. You know, with the devil, he just says, get out of my way, and he goes on with his marching orders. But to Peter, Jesus goes a little further and gives him an invitation. He says, get thee behind me and come after me. Stop being in front of me and get behind me. He invites Peter to get out of his way and to follow him. But it doesn't just give us a command, because that command is there for us as well, and leave us in the dark. He instructs us. He enables us. He tells us how to do what he's commanded us to do, how to be obedient. 
Again, Peter and us, we all begin every day, I would say, with ourselves in charge. We savor, our, we savor or desire whatever we want, not the things of God, desiring at times even the whole world maybe. But Jesus says in verse 34 again, if you're going to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So in this scenario here, this three-step progress, we begin with self. And the first stage is to deny self. The second stage is to carry our cross, ultimately the crucifixion of self. So I hope you're with me so far. So we start, we're, we're, this is a message for believers, this passage here. We start and we deny ourselves so that we can be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then we take it a little farther and we crucify ourselves, the affections and all our desires, so that we can be even deeper in our discipleship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the crucifixion of self, what happens when you crucify something? It's dead. It's dead. So at this part of the process, the crucifixion, at the crucifixion of self, we are dead. Dead to self. And this phase done right, we are an empty glass. No desires, no future, no purpose, no life. We cannot stay here long. It's impossible for us to stay here long. A misunderstanding of this stage results in a, a monastic lifestyle excluded from everything. A misunderstanding of this stage could drive us into depression, or maybe a vow of poverty, or we could rebound to the opposite extreme of lust and luxury. But that's not what the Lord wants. Because Jesus didn't stop here. Nor does he want us to stop here. Remember, our spiritual life, which is supposed to pour over into our physical life, is supposed to mirror the life of Christ. And he lived a crucified life. He denied self. He crucified him, his flesh. His, his, I mean, he crucified himself. And when he went to the cross and he gave his life on the cross, that was the end. And spiritually speaking, that's the end of us. Empty life, empty, empty, um, empty purpose, all those things. So spiritually speaking, we are dead men following Christ. Now think about that for a moment. I would lay down on the floor, but I just bought this suit. So if you were to lay down on this floor and I would come over and I say, hey, follow me. It's not going to happen. He can't in his own strength follow whoever he's commanded to follow. And that's the same thing that goes for us. We cannot follow uh, the Lord and our physical strength. It requires God's strength. It requires God. The getting up after those first two stages is nothing short of spiritual living, victorious living, dead men following Christ, dead to self and alive to Christ. Remember Jesus as our greatest example, and there is life after the cross. Remember again, Philippians chapter 2, being in the form of God, Jesus took on the form of a servant, he emptied himself, he gave his life on Calvary, denial and death of self. But what happened? He walked out of that grave. We are to walk out of our grave. We were to walk and live in Christ. Philippians 2.9, Wherefore God also highly has exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Jesus lives, so can we. In fact, we live because he lives. And we are to follow him, follow Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. That's only possible in Jesus Christ. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
To put it plainly, only the dead in Christ can truly follow Christ. And while there may seem like many reasons not to follow Christ, there is not one. There is not one. Look at verse 38, and we'll kind of come to a close here this evening. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. You see, Peter initially wanted victory at no cost to self. He wanted freedom without a fight. He wanted redemption without a redeemer. He wanted a kingdom without a king, and he wanted the crown without a cross, salvation without a savior, and so forth. He wanted it all his way, and he wanted to follow Jesus his way. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, 24, I'll say this, Jesus says, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. So if discipleship, very simply this evening, if discipleship costs Jesus something, it's going to cost us something. It must, of a necessity, cost us something. True discipleship, I would argue, always costs something. May I encourage you this evening, as I am encouraged by these these words in in Mark chapter 8, to not be your own stumbling stone, but to come after Christ. To deny self, carry your cross, and follow Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, you are a great God. You are a great Savior, and we love you. Help us to to live in a way that brings you honor and glory. Help us to follow your pattern, your words to us, to deny self, to crucify our desires and follow you, Lord. Help us to do all these things and more. Lord, help us to surrender all so that you can enable us to serve you victoriously. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John. With heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, I can't help but begin to think about how God knew exactly what Pastor would preach this morning, and He knew exactly what He'd put on Brother Inslee's heart tonight. It's really two sides of the same coin. This morning, something's not adding up. This evening, here's the reason why. Because so many of us have gone through this life that we live. Christians wanting to do what God wants, or at least thinking in our hearts we want to do what God wants. But the truth is, is that we've never taken the time that day to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and let God just lead. You know, I was thinking as he was preaching this thought, that those three things could literally be applied to any aspect of life, every aspect of life. When you came this evening to church, Did you deny what you wanted to happen at church? Did you deny the way you wanted God to speak to you today at church? Did you deny your thoughts that you might have of what God would do in your life today at church? So often we come just even to this place and we think, well, I'm going to be encouraged. There's going to be a Bible message. 
I'll encourage someone else and I'll go home. And God has a completely different desire and plan for some of us. Maybe today was the day that God intended for one of us to surrender in some way, but that was never on our radar because it was about what our motives were, as Brother Hensley was saying. So with heads bowed and eyes closed as we stand to our feet, I want to ask you this question. What do you need to do this evening? Maybe it's deny yourself. Maybe it's take up the cross. And maybe for some of you, you just need to come to this altar and say,